Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast from Altos Research. This is the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the trends shaping the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. This is where I talk to the smartest leaders, thinkers, and doers in the real estate industry. For a few years now, we've been sharing the latest market data every week in our Altos weekly video series. With the Top of Mind podcast, we're looking to add context to the discussion about what's happening in the market from, from the leaders in the industry. Every week, of course, Altos Research tracks every home for sale in the country, all the pricing, all the supply and demand, all the changes in that data, and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's happening right now in the housing market. And the market was so frozen solid last fall. And then suddenly the landscape is changing. Uh, Everybody's worried about what happens in 2023. So you need to communicate about this market to your clients. Then you should go to altosresearch.com and just book a free consult with our team. We're going to talk about Miami today and South Florida and a lot of those related things. But of course, Altos covers every, every zip code in the country. So go to Altos and, and join us. So speaking of Miami and experts and people who use data, I've got a fantastic guest today, Inez Hegedes Garcia. Inez is uh, the current chair of the Miami Association of Realtors. She's also a very successful realtor in Miami, an EVP at Avanti Way Realty. Inez is at the the forefront of real estate technology. She's a longtime publisher of the absolutely fabulous real estate blog, Miamiism, miamiism miamiism.com, which is really, it's great features, the architectural spirit of South Florida, really terrific work there. Uh, she's a frequent speaker at conferences around the world and has been a good uh, friend and Altos client for many years. So I, I can't wait to talk about Miami and all the interesting trends there. Uh, Miami is a very special real estate market in the U.S. So uh, plus we're going to get some insights from Inez on social media and her work with her blog and photography as well. So Inez, welcome to the podcast. Wow, what what a welcome. That was fantastic. Thank you. I'm going to hire you and go around the world with Mike. Uh, I will. I'll introduce you on stage anywhere you like. <laughs> that was great. So, well, let's start here with, let's start with you and your background. You've been a realtor and broker in Miami for a long time. Um, you're an architect by training, right? So tell us the Inez story. Listen, in, I would have never in a million years thought of becoming a realtor. That was not in my plans. You know, like you, you put your plans on paper, realtor and selling real estate was definitely not part of that. Now, that's the beauty of this industry, right? It's, it's, it's so organic. And then now when you start talking about agents, it's like what, what agent really planned to become a realtor from the first day in their career plans? So based on that... Um, I was doing architecture. I was being an architect. I was designing both commercial and residential projects. And um, I, as a fluke, a family member um, actually bought a commercial property. They buy this commercial property and they say, Ines, we need you to manage it. 
And I was like, what? What What do I know about managing a commercial property? Now, you know my husband, you know Rick. Rick is an accountant. My, um, my uncle said, Ines, for God's sakes, it's not rocket science. You do all the people stuff. Rick does all the financial stuff. Should be cake. Now, it was really fun because being an architect and being able to call a roofer and climb the roof and say, wait, 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 you're not doing this right, or the AC or whatever it was that we were hiring um, was the fun part. Now, we lost the opportunity to make some really big commissions by not being realtors, by not having our licenses. We were just managing this commercial building. And um, Rick said, I'm getting my license. And I said, that's a great idea. I still had like no intentions ever of doing that. Um, we blinked and from that one building, all of a sudden we were managing 20. It was just crazy. Um, and then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, we are definitely losing opportunity. I got my license as well. Now, once I get my license, then I realize, wait a minute, residential architect, residential real estate and architecture really go hand in hand. This is, and not only that, I was making more money as a realtor than I was as an architect. Pretty sad. I know it's crazy to even think about that. So, so it just, it just was very organic. Um, and I just, you know, doors open and you choose to go through them or you choose not to, um, I choose to go through them. And so organically enough, my, my profession as a realtor and getting involved in leadership, everything has just happened and it's, it's been a really great ride and it continues to be a fantastic ride. So that's, that's pretty much my story. That's a great story. And leadership is really an interesting part of that story. So uh, let's go there for a second. You are currently the chair of the, the Miami Association of Realtors. You've done a lot of uh, NAR things and Florida Association. Tell me about the, the, the current role. Well, listen, um, this is my biggest achievement. And, um, and I know it sounds cliche, but I'm so honored to be leading the largest local realtor association in the country. We have over 60,000 members. Miami is larger than 45 state associations. So it's nuts. It's crazy. Um, and so it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I'm just taking on um, full force. It's super exciting. And I'm just... And it's not a me thing, which is the beauty of leadership. Um, the team is just so fantastic. Everyone involved, the rest of the leaders in the association, the staff, our CEO. So it's just, uh, it's listen, it's February. So I've been chair for two months and it's just, it's, I just can't wait. I mean, I, it, the year is going to go by fast is all I have to say. Yeah, that's great. And so, so 60,000 realtor members is uh let's talk about them for a sec is that so you know now in 2023 we had crazy pandemic that that number probably grew during the pandemic yes yes it grew it actually grew by a lot um all the the people that are being laid off and they were sitting home a lot of people just decided to get their real estate license um in miami specifically we had a lot of people from the hospitality industry get their licenses um, and, and it was great because they, they really understand working with people and, and working with the consumer at the right level. So, so yes, I, I think, um, we can say that numbers don't, don't really reflect, you know, what happens in the industry with sales, but, but it's, it's nice to have that 60,000 number behind us. Yeah. And so then 
it, does that shrink this year? In a now a year, now it's a much more challenging market. You know what's funny? We were just talking about that in our meeting yesterday. There's a couple of, of media channels that are reporting a, a big drop in agent count. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen that at all. Our number count continues to increase, continues to grow. Um, I can't tell you, I don't know the, the, the data off my head of how many agents um, get their licenses on a daily basis, but it's in Florida. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So that's interesting that it hasn't uh, hasn't changed yet. I have a there's always uh, complaints in in the industry that we have too many agents and and there's only there's uh, there's a million and a half agents and there's only five million home sales. You know, th- therefore, and I have a hypothesis that that says because it's relatively easy to start and end your real estate career. We actually always have the exact right number of them. It's a, an efficient market for when there's more sales with more money, there's more people going after it, and that's good competition. Like that is as efficient as it, as it gets. So it's interesting though to, to hear that, that it actually hasn't declined yet. It's, um, in much of the country, the second half of 2022 was really hard. How did you feel it in Miami? I'm going to tell you something. I think Miami continues to defy all the odds. Um, it's, it's, it's really incredible when I look, especially at your data, you know, at what the rest of the country is doing and our numbers continue to increase and increase and we're still in an appreciating market and we're, so we're not seeing that the craziness of the rest of the country. And there's many reasons for that. Um, we have a lot of, of foreign nationals that buy in Miami. Um, so there's, there's a huge, and for example, when the mortgage rates were affecting the market, our market has a lot of cash coming in. So those mortgage rates are not affecting our market as, as much as in other parts of the country. Um, so it, it's definitely a, a different, um, our, our weather. I mean, we can talk about everything that's great about Miami, what makes Miami different, but it's, it's just, it really continues to defeat the odds in every which way. And one fun one, during the pandemic, when when the world and the, um, closed down and we didn't have travel, I remember my agents were freaking out. We were thinking, oh, my God, you know, we don't have our foreign national buyers. What's going to happen to the Miami market? We expected collapse. And guess what? Your people from California started coming in and all the New Yorkers. And they said, if we have stay at home orders, we better be in a pretty place. And a place that's fun and a place that's open and has diverse culture and great weather and all the great stuff. So um, so we actually, the market was really, really positive um, during the pandemic. We never saw a downside. And then borders opened again after COVID. And we now we have Californians, New Yorkers, South Americans and Europeans. So it's, it, it's good to be us. That's really, yes, it is. And, and it's a really fascinating. So the, we can see, for example, the central Florida markets have definitely slowed down from their pandemic peaks, although not as big. They didn't, they haven't slowed as big as the Western U.S., the Boise and Phoenix and Austin's. Those hit the brakes much harder. Uh, so the central Florida markets, though, they definitely have, have cooled way down. Miami, like you can see it in the data. Is has stayed significantly more robust, and so is that really like, like maybe 
two years of pent up international buyers who like who 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 had to wait for a while is that is that maybe what's helping things right now no you know what i i don't think so and i'll tell you why because what what happens especially with south america when when a country is doing poorly politically in south america that's when we see the influx of people so so right now it, i mean it's it's incredible you see argentina going through turmoil and guess what the us offers really great stability even if our interest rates are not we think they're not as favorable or whatever happens you know for them it is you know we we're seeing a lot of colombians we're seeing a lot of chileans so so miami kind of depends on political unrest uh, in the rest of of the country which is crazy which is crazy but it turns out to be very reliable and that's that's exactly it so there's a big joke that that um miami is close to the us where we're like in the border of the US close to the US that's right it's really nice because it's very close south america but it's very close to the US that's that's terrific and yeah and it turns out that if if you're at home in a in a country with political turmoil you know your your interest rates are 14% or something you know coming to the US is like it's still very cheap mhm correct that's that's neat okay that's that's uh that's really fascinating to to watch that trend so the the market's been been solid this year um and uh, have you have you noticed change since the beginning of the year? So, for example, in the in you know the rest of the country, pretty pretty dramatically, markets slowed down. Rest of the country, in some in, in some of the, the the boomiest you know West Coast markets, inventory available inventory is back over where it was pre pandemic. Most of the country it's still very low, but but you know. Austin and Phoenix and those places is back up. Um, and but after the first of the year in much of the country, we've had a notable change. Inventory is falling. Buyer demand is picking up. It's surprising that folks are buying in spite of the high, the new interest rates. What are you seeing since the first of the year? Uh, listen, we're, we're seeing something very similar. Um, so definitely inventory slowly going up, not to pre-pandemic um, numbers, but we're seeing inventory going up. But we're seeing it's not the multiple offer crazy bidding war scenarios. That, that's gone. So that's out of the way. Um, so we're seeing, um, we, we did see a slowdown and we were talking about a, a few colleagues uh, a couple of days ago about this. Um, what's interesting from that slowdown is like, oh, wow, interest rates are, are 6%. And we're thinking, that's still a great interest rate. You know, yeah, of course, it wasn't the 2.5 that we were lucky to get a couple of years ago. But the reality is, if you bought at 2.5%, oh my God, just pat yourself on the back and just say your timing was on point, you know? But the reality is, those buyers that were holding back because they were freaking out at interest rates going up, they're now realizing, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's not as bad, you know, 6%. And then when you have an appreciating market like Miami offers, then you need to do the numbers, right? So if historically we're appreciating at, at 8% and interest rates are at 6 you better buy now. Because if you wait till the end of the year thinking that the interest rates are going to drop a point, you may lose out on a great opportunity. So, so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, and then we're seeing sellers being more flexible. So that's positive. 
You know, and, and my point of view is now we're seeing a little bit longer inspection periods. Um, we're seeing um, some seller concessions. So the market is normalizing. And a joke that I tell my, my agents when they're like, wait a minute, I've had this listing on the market for 30 days. I'm like, okay, no, now you have to be an agent. Now you got to market the property. You know, you didn't have to market in the last couple of years. It was easy. It was high. Now you have to go back to working. So, so it's, it's not negative by any means, but to me, it's like, oh, we're back going back to normal. You know, it's fun. Yeah, that's great. Oh, that's a, that's a very optimistic way to look at it. <laughs> well, thank you. But having those like crazy overbidding times and the multiple offer things like it's not, not healthy for anybody in the, in the market. And so it has definitely returned. So then when we've been talking about, obviously the out of town buyers, South American turmoil, are those patterns, do they change? Have they changed post-pandemic? Uh, are there new trends that we should pay attention to there? Uh, what about Russia? Russia money. Is that, does that matter? How, do we, how should I think about those? You know, you know, it's funny. Um, my Sunny Isles office is so diverse. I think the other day we had a training and we had... Russians, every country in South America was represented. So we had Portugal, we had French, Chinese, Korean. So I, I was looking around the room and I said, oh my God, this is awesome. This really represents Miami. So with that said, my, my agents represent and service all kinds of people from all over the world. I can tell you that, that yes, Russia has always been interested in Miami. I don't think we've seen a crazy, just overflow or I don't see more movement from Russia. We've been seeing more movement from the countries in South America with turmoil. Um, is it different than before? I, I don't think so. What I'm seeing a little bit different this time is that um, these four nationals that would buy cash, they're still buying cash, don't get me wrong, but now they're not afraid of leveraging their money. So, so now there's more foreign national programs out there in the lending industry. And now they're thinking, wait a minute, let, let me leverage my, my money here in the United States because they trust the U.S. ultimately. So that's the only thing that I would tell you that I see that's a little bit different. That's interesting. So there's actually more lending programs for foreign nationals that have, have, that have emerged recently. Correct. Oh, that, that opens up the market more for for the, for those folks as somebody who doesn't who's coming from Chile or someplace who has some money but not 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 enough to buy the a, a place full cash or or more fun than that hey listen i have $500,000 instead of selling them one property you say let me sell you three and you leverage the money wow that's interesting um and does that you see a lot of that kind of activity. So suddenly they're, they're investors in Florida. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot, for sure. You know, in Miami, especially a few years ago, a few, a couple decades ago, had you know, real building booms, real building booms, right? And then has had boom and bust cycles on construction. Um, where are we in that, in that phase right now? So it, it's funny because a lot of people are always, you're always going to reference 2008 um, as the, the bust, uh, but I can tell you, um, there was a lot of media channels also covering, there was way too much new construction inventory. And the reality is that it wasn't, um, a lot of media channels were covering 25 years of inventory and the reality, it was like less than five. Um, but 
in since we've been seeing a boom in new construction um, to the point where a media channel was uh, gave me some quotes about oh no because construction is down in south florida and i was like no no please send me the stats because absolutely not there's all kinds of developers all kinds of projects anything that's new construction is selling fast Anything that's new construction in the single family or townhouse arena, there's there's not enough of it being built. It's selling like hotcakes. Um, so so yeah, we're seeing a lot of new construction, a lot of cool architecture here in, in Miami coming up. Uh, we're seeing those cranes again, and and it's listen, it it's exciting and not at the same time because we see the skyline shifting so quickly. And and hopefully there's more quality than anything else. But you know me, my, my architecture brain, I, I can really pick them apart really fast. Yeah. Do you do you uh, like the general trend of uh, the what's being built architecturally? Yeah. Listen, for the most part, yes. Um, and probably I'll have a couple of colleagues kill me. Um, Architectonica is one of our big firms that is always building. So a new building goes up, who designed it? Architectonica. And you're like, oh, yawn. <laughs> um, but the reality is, yeah, I, I would tell you that most of the time they're great quality. They, they have a good reputation. Um, I think it, more importantly than that is the developer and the quality of the construction that people are concerned with. And everybody that's coming in, we're not seeing a lot of new developers that no one knows. So it's all reputable, all really great quality construction. We're seeing a lot of Airbnb buildings, like short-term rental buildings, um, where investors can come in and and we'll see where that goes. You know, in my point of view, if there's way too much inventory for short-term rentals, then hey, those rentals may not do as well as we expect. Um, so let's see. Let's see when those projects are finished and let's see what the return is for, for these investors in the short-term buildings. That's a really interesting thread. You know, there is, uh, there. Are, so I was recently in Nashville and we stayed in an Airbnb and the entire neighborhood was like Airbnbs. And you could tell because they all had like the same, you know, uh, Nashville sign on the, like the wall of like, here I am on, you know, and, and you could see it all the way down in the little townhouses. And, and so, but Nashville has a big tourist you know, inbound tourist industry, and it worked great for us. We were eight people, boom, we had a nice house. It was an excellent way to do it. But on the other hand, what if, you know, recession hits and the tourism drops, like do those uh, start to fail? So what do those look like in Miami? Are they like townhouse stuff or are they like of those new construction high rises? Are there a lot going into the short-term rental? I would tell you most of them are going to be high rises. So, so it's, think about it. I mean, you have a 50 story high rise and what they do is that half of it is hotel, half of it will be short-term rental. Um, they, they're really flexible. They give owners the opportunity, either you manage it yourself or we have concierge to manage it for you for a fee. Um, so there, there's all kinds of different fun and great models. And, and the math is, is working out even with figuring out vacancy rates. But again, it's there's a lot of them going up, you know. I, I mean, I know people love Miami, but it gets to a point where wow, that, that's a lot of short term rentals that are being built. Yeah, and and how is the city with that, or the region, or the county? How, how are they with? So a lot of cities are afraid of that and are restricting. And there's a lot of 
you know, like uh, not allowed to put in short-term rentals. How's, how's Miami doing with that? So, so listen, I'm, I'm going to put my chairman of the board hat on. Um, we protect property rights. If you buy a property, whether it's single family, whatever it is, um, we're supposed to tell you, you have the right to do whatever you want with your property. Um, so, so that's my chairman of the board hat that, that I should always wear and always <laughs> speak out on. Um, with that said, obviously quality of life is, is always a question, you know? So when you have residential single family areas, you're always concerned. Now, it, this is controlled by the department of business of regulation, DDPR at the Florida level, the state level. So you get your license for short-term rental at the state level, and then each local municipality will have an extra license. Um, yes, there's communities that are concerned with that quality of life, but, but at the end, it's, it's a matter of doing it correctly. Miami beach was the first one that, that had a huge fines and it was just crazy. And, and guess what? We also need to protect our hotel industry in Miami beach, you know, cause at the end of the day, you have this massive hotel industry. And then if you provide at the same time, parallel to that short-term rentals, then you don't want your businesses to go you know, upside down. So it's, it's been challenging. Um, but the city I, I would tell you is, is open to, to the growth and we have enough tourism here, I think to, to cover everybody. I think it's, it's, it's the, the unhealthy party house next to you that, that you're concerned with. Yeah. Right. And, and, and sometimes it's the hotel industry who wants to squash the competition. Yeah. No, no, no. There, there's and listen, and obviously I, I don't know the exact regulations that Miami Beach has come up with, but yes, there's licenses and you have to go through processes and, and with every right, Miami Beach not only has to protect private property rights, but they have to protect their, their businesses as well. Yeah. So at this point though, you see we we still see boom in short-term rental construction and the investor types who are buying those units as of February of twenty twenty three. You like you still see that momentum? Oh, for sure. No, no, that hasn't stopped. That hasn't stopped. And you know what? And it's and it's funny because I I see it just in my own office. I have I don't know. We in Avanti we have about fifteen hundred agents. Um, in my particular office in Sunny Isles, we have about like a hundred and and right under two hundred agents. And a lot of my agents work with investors, and they work with short term rentals, and they're doing beautifully. They, their business has not gotten affected at all. That's amazing. That's really interesting to hear. And it's it's funny, as much as the data has been national, the trends have been national, we, we still we always have our local insights. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today, because it, you know Miami has really stuck out in, and it's sort of a different cycle this year, uh, being its own space. So that's uh, really fascinating. Let's talk a little bit more about the market before, and then we're going to talk to into, into go into like social media and things like that. But let's talk about affordability. How do you, in a world where like, hey, we're putting up 50-story high rise and oh, by the way, everybody's buying those for short-term rentals. It's hard to buy it for a place to live. What happens with affordability? What is happening? How do you feel about affordability in Miami? Listen, it, it's just funny because my own kids as being millennials and being in that buying stage um, we have this conversation all the time. Thank goodness my oldest bought his place. So um, now he's looking for a single family house. So we can say when a city grows um, organically, is especially one that is like Miami, 
there you're gonna push away to the borders to the outskirts the local living person like the the working class and and i don't think this is a phenomenon of miami i think this just happens to any city that's growing so we're seeing we're, we are seeing these growing pains and and they are being addressed um, we're constantly, when it comes to advocacy at the local and state level, that's, that's one of our big deals is, is affordability. And, um, and we're constantly trying to come up with programs, you know, for people to be able to afford and stay in Miami. We, we don't want our brain power, our kids to move out of, of our city. And, um, it's, it's a challenge. I'm not going to say it's not, it's a challenge. But at the same time, if you're not afraid of buying, like when my son bought a couple of years ago, he's got incredible equity. You know, anyone that holds back and continues to rent thinking, I can't afford Miami, guess what? You're never going to afford Miami. So I think my, our job as, as realtors is to explain that process and, and, and to let the consumer know, don't, don't be afraid, you know, and, and pull, you have the data. You know, the data is what is our annual appreciation in the different micro markets within Miami. And we, you and I have talked about micro markets and how generalized data, sometimes it's very difficult to, to analyze. And these micro markets, as soon as you analyze them and you realize, wait, wait a minute, if I would have bought three years ago, I would have $200,000 worth of equity. You go, wow, you know, now I can move into a bigger property. Um, so back to your question of affordability. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an issue. Yes, it's a challenge. Yes, it's, a one, uh, it's one that a lot, not only politicians locally, but us as a board and an association are, are trying to grab head on. Yeah. You don't resent all the Californians coming in and buying up all the properties and driving the prices up? <laughs> the Californians, I'm not, not so much. Because they're nice. I think the New Yorkers, oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's it's the New Yorkers' fault. Yeah. <laughs> no, no I, I am not saying New Yorkers are obnoxious. No, I'm not saying they're obnoxious. <laughs> we love our New Yorkers. We do. Of course. Always. And, and that's, of course, the New York phenomenon. It's been the lifeblood of Miami forever, right? It's, uh, it's driven a lot of Miami forever. So. Uh, okay. Well, that's great. And, and of course, there was a real, tr there has been in, in over the pandemic, especially there was a real trend of, or at least a, there's a headline. I don't know if there was a real trend, but there was a headline of like San Francisco technology, a couple of loudmouth venture capitalists who are like, I'm moving to Miami. Some people moved to Miami and some really loudmouth VCs moved to Miami. And a lot of it was around Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency market. And, and for a while there was capital there. Did that impact your business? Like people with a lot of Bitcoin money, were they, was that, and, and is that gone now? You know what? I think that the crypto people that moved to Miami, they talked about their crypto, but they, they didn't buy in crypto, you know? So I think that's the difference. So you, you can be a loud mouth talking about it and having, but at the end of the day, the transactions were made in, in regular transactions, not crypto. And, um, and, and so, no, it did not affect our market at all. Those people, you know, the, their wealth came from different sources. Um, we have not seen that affect us at all. No impact whatsoever. Yeah. Do you feel uh, momentum for like technology? Does that feel real and palpable in, in Miami? Is there a future? It, not only does it feel real and palpable, it, it's, it's tangible. 
It's really exciting um, because I was involved as an early adopter of social media. I was involved w- with that tech world many years ago. And I remember to, to get a tech conference was really difficult. And, and it was like, it was always complain when, when are we going to see the light at the end of the tunnel? And now it's just all the startups that are coming in, all the venture capital money that's here. It's just, it's super, super exciting. Um, we, we need to thank Mayor Suarez for that, you know, that, that whole open arms come in, how can I help you? has been just a game changer for us here in Miami. And and it's, listen, you and I are techies, you know, there, there's, I get goosebumps thinking about the, the tech and, and all the, the innovation that's happening here in Miami right now. So it's, that's one of the best things that's happened to Miami in the last couple of years. That's really exciting to hear. It really feels good to be part of a growth, a growth market, growth industry there. For sure. Yeah, that's that's exciting. Well, that's cool. And that's actually a good transition. So, you know, we probably met 17 years ago, something like many years ago, right? It's when we started Altos and we were doing blogging stuff and you were and you created Miamiism dot com, which you still run today. How many people have been able to keep any blog going for 17 years or however many 18 years like and and uh but it obviously still probably drives a lot of your business too tell us about miamiism listen miamiism is my child you know it's just nuts because when i i decided to transition from sales into leadership and partnering with avanti way realty and now being more at the management level i'm not gonna kill my child um so i'm i'm keeping that one alive but it's it's a labor of love, you know, it's, it's evolved throughout the years. It, it started with, you know, how I can communicate with the consumer at a different level. Um, obviously, SEO was, was a huge thing that the fact that Google just loved the blog and new content. Um, I never in a million years thought that I was a writer. Um, but guess what? After you've been doing it for so long, and by the way, and you know this, I never hired anyone to write. Like I write all my blog posts, which is insane. I think back now, think about this three to four articles a week for 17 years. That's a lot of content. Um, at least I, because I have so much content, I have the ability of recycling this content for things that are more local. So I, um, or, or apply more to the time. Um, so labor of love, um, just cool to see tech change around it, you know, um, cool to see, uh, what social media has, what people are doing with social media. And then they're like, you're a blogger. Ines, really? You're a blogger? And it's and it's funny for it, for me to even vocalize that. Um, but yes, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't call myself anything else. Um, and it's it's been um absolutely amazing to learn what my voice is and to learn what, what my audience wants to see in content and to understand that marketing aspect of how to sell real estate by understanding an audience. And Huge lesson. Yeah. So what, tell me about your audience. What do they, what do they respond to? What, like, what are they like? So funny enough, it has changed throughout the years. And I think obviously it has changed because of my growth and what I'm writing. Um, There's no blogger that's not, that's going to go at it blindly. You have to look at your analytics and see what's being read the most. Um, My articles that are always read the most are my market reports. So, so Mr. Stats, 
<laughs> right here, you know that that's that's it. I don't care if you're buying or selling. You always want to know what you, how you, the market's behaving. So so those are always doing the best. And then the ones that I have a passion for. Anytime there's a, a really cool architect coming in, and I talk passionately about what they're building, what I'm seeing, and how it's changing the landscape. And, and I think people see my passion in those articles, and those are the, the most read. And my educational ones, historic homes, materials, what, what's the right window, what's the right roofing tile for a Mediterranean revival home. I can go on and on and on. <laughs> so do you have some architects that we should pay attention to? Who should I know? Who do you like, architect-wise? Oh, my God. There's, uh, and he's not a local anymore. Oppenheim. Chad Oppenheim in Miami has done some beautiful buildings, and he's building all over um there's there's a guy that actually went to um with me his name is alan shulman and what i love about alan is that he takes historic um buildings and he repurposes them but with the right thought without destroying the integrity of the of the building or the architecture um, so those two are, are local ones. And then obviously you, you have like massive star architects that, that are all over Miami. I mean, Zaha Hadid that, that passed away recently. Um, we have, a um, one of her buildings, her first residential building in the, in the U S. Um, it's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's a good looking building. Yeah. Um, Zog and Demuron, I think my favorite building in Miami is a parking lot. Which is like what? <laughs> so, I love it. I have to. I don't know that one. Yeah. So it's eleven eleven Lincoln, and it's a concrete structure that just gives me goosebumps every time I go. There's no bad angle. I every I may visit it like once a week, and I can take a hundred photos every time I go. I love it. I love it. What a great what a what a great uh, uh, observation. Like the coolest building is is a parking lot. Um, I also love the 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 showman who who does respects that the the architectural integrity because Miami has such a great architectural history and culture that but it's also time to change some of those buildings around right some some of those are getting old right yeah we have a great project right now that's been a labor of love it's the Miami Marine Stadium so the Marie, Miami Marine Stadium was built, I think it was in the 80s, uh, by this guy, Candela, who's a Cuban architect that passed away also last year. But during um, Andrew, the hurricane in the 90s, the city was managing the, the building and they pretty much just kind of abandoned it. And then they said it was structurally unsafe. And a bunch of people came up, including the National Trust for Historic Places, and, and declared it historic, like one of the, the top 10 endangered buildings in the world. And I was part of that, which I was very, very happy to be. So years, it's been like 12 or 13 years since that process began of, of not destroying it and maybe restoring it. And they just started the concrete restoration for it last week. Wow. So big win. Yeah. And do you think the city and the region in general does like a good job between that, that trade off of, hey, we got to build new, but we also got to protect the old. Does Miami do well there or are there things that need to be improved? Unfortunately, we don't. We have a couple of passionate people. Um, it's like Miami Beach, I think is one of the best. The city of Miami is trying to do well. Coral Gables is fantastic. Um, but yeah, there's always people are saying, again, we are protecting property rights. I bought this 
place, I don't care if it's a historic Kino and Elliot, I'm going to tear it down. So then Miami Beach like has created like a moratorium for a historic board to review. So there's, there's processes, but we've lost some gems over idiocy at the end of the day. You know, and, and, and it makes me sad. I mean, I, I've written blog posts when I, like an important house is torn down and I'm crying. And Rick is looking at me like, are you kidding me? <laughs> crying over a house has been torn down. And it's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really, really tricky. And, and maybe even will accelerate over the next few years because, because of that age of the, some of those properties. It's like... We got to replace them, and because of this massive growth happening, um, so many other, so many great things about that learning. Um, what else uh, have you learned from that that Miamiism and that process uh, that that you can share with us? Listen, I think the process of of having a blog that that has a really strong audience is that. Well, I've learned. I'm always positive, you know. Um, so it's not like I'm ever going to use my voice to tear someone apart. I mean, that that's something that I would never in a million years do. But I think that having a voice teaches you that you do have a responsibility to educate the consumer on things that they may not be aware of. And, and that's been challenging because putting things in a light that's healthy without being negative, but at the same time being informational um, is very rewarding. Um, one, one example is, is one house that got torn down close to me in Miami shores by a, a well-known architect and it was his own home. And, um, and the architect that built the house in its place was a good friend. So, and it was, it just, it was hurtful. So I wrote a really great post about how sad the process of replacing what's old with new just for the sakes of replacing without thinking of restoration. But I didn't mention his name and, and he called me like I hear my phone. He called me and he's like, you called me out. I said, no, I did not call you out. I said, just because you're feeling guilty about the whole process of not educating your client doesn't mean that I'm calling you out. I'm calling the whole process broken. And it's up to you to realize that, from now on, you have a choice as an architect to educate the consumer what you're tearing down for the sakes of tearing down. Yeah, it is a real challenge. And it's, uh, of course, California is very sensitive to things like that. But it's one of the things that then leads to affordability challenges. And like, it's a real double-edged sword in there. Uh, interesting. So you mentioned the hurricane. And do you have a view on climate change, climate risk. Has your business changed or your buyers? What, what? Tell me about how you think about climate risk now. Listen, um, it's something that we must be aware of. Um, I think we put a blind eye and anything that was sea level rise of climate change here in Miami for a few years. Um, there were a couple of media reports of actual realtors that, that would say, oh, nothing's happening. You don't have to worry for 50 years. And we need to be responsible. You know, um, the beauty is that we've reached a point in sustainability in the city where, you know, the, the city officials are, are being responsible and they see, you know, we, we need to address this. Um, infrastructure in Miami needs a lot of work. Um, but, for example, I'll, I'll mention Brickell, you know, our financial district. You see in the news, and I get calls from like South America. Oh my God, I just saw it in the news. Brickles underwater. 
And yeah, while we have these heavy rains, it literally is underwater, but it drains in less than 24 hours. It's gone. It's not like it stays underwater. Now, that doesn't mean that's right. It just means it's not as bad as the media is perceiving it to be. Um, so yeah, we have a long uh, trip ahead of us when it comes to being better about sustainability, but we are definitely addressing it. Some of, of the ways that we're addressing it, in my opinion, are Band-Aids. Um, for example, there's certain areas in Miami Beach where, and there are commercial areas where the, um, the city's racing the street. So you race the street, you keep the actual retail at the same level as before, and they add pumps. But guess what? So you're protecting the car. Is that what you're telling me? The car's more important than the pedestrian walkway that was there before? So, so we need better urban planners. We need better solutions to, to these band-aids that, that I don't think are solving the problem. And, and it's just very, very temporary. And at the end of the day, I, I hate to protect the car. You know, I, I want to protect the walkability. I want to protect those, those businesses at the end of the day. Right, right, right. And when you're working with maybe younger realtors, is, is climate risk and climate change, is that something you discuss with them? Is it like help them? How do you communicate to like, well, you know, if you buy on the 50th floor, you're going to be fine. <laughs> what, what kind of conversations do you have? Well, that, the big joke is, yeah, if you buy on the 50th floor and how are you going to get to the building where there's boats, there's always <laughs> boats, you know, <laughs> to get to your place. Um, no, no. The reality is that the education is what is your local municipality doing re regarding this climate change? Um, you, um, What's happening with flood insurance, for example, which is huge. What's happening with these 50s homes you know, that are sitting in, in lower grounds um, and what needs to happen to those to come up to standards. So there's um, zoning changes happening throughout. So it's about keeping, letting th those younger agents know, please inform yourself about what the, each municipality is doing and which streets do flood and what happens and, and what the changes are. And that's, that's a responsibility that we all have to have and, and disclose. What is happening with flood insurance? Well, listen, I, I think um, the, the biggest change that I think will be positive is, is the whole LIDAR mapping idea. So my sister is also an architect and she was freaking out that her house insurance was going to go up. And yes, it's a problem. Insurance is, is definitely increasing, especially in, in Florida. Um, but there's, there's changes right now with mapping to understand exactly how much they flood, where you are within those flood lines, and, and what a homeowner needs to know and do to protect their property. And, and that's what's important. I think it's, it's that, that whole evolution of, again, education, because at the end of the day, that's, that's where it is. And making sure that, you know, our local governments are protecting us and are giving us that right information. That's interesting. And I've, I've said elsewhere that, that it feels like Florida is generally, uh, we're underpricing the risk in much of Florida. We still, even though in flood insurance is, is rising, it still feels like the risk is growing and the damage skill is growing. But it's interesting to hear about the technology changes that actually help us make better decisions along the way there. Have you ever had a situation where you tell a client, don't buy this house, buy that house because we can see how the flood map works better? Oh, I 
Yes, well, absolutely. What, what I say is, listen, I want you to come back to this area after a torrential rain, just so you see what's happening, you know, and, and that's an eye opener. That that's a huge one. I could not live with myself selling a property and the person can't even go out their front door because their house is flooded. So, but, but talking about underpricing the risk insurance is really, really, really high, you know? Um, so I think that the problem that we were having in Florida outside of in the insurance thing, and I think this is going to be a really great solution because it's, it's advocacy at, at the state level is that contractors could actually go straight to the insurance to say that they were doing, so they would get paid by the insurance and they would remove the, the homeowner. So there was a lot of fraud there, you know? So, so now it's a no, the, the homeowner needs to be involved in that. Um, and that's, that's, to me, it's gonna make a huge difference. I mean, it's a huge difference because the less fraud means that you don't have to pass that those costs on. Uh, interesting. Okay, I like it. Th- those are real changes. Like the technology changes, the legislation, the legislative changes in the face of the fact that the risk is increasing. We need to do those mix. All right. Well, that's really terrific. That's exactly what I wanted to get out of our conversation. And as I, I appreciate your insight, I love the you know Miami is such a special market to to see and to hear about. Um, I, I love your, your role both as as a practitioner, but also as a leader of the 60,000 agents in Miami. I really appreciate your time today. Well, listen, thank you for having me. Um, it was a blast. Uh, I can't wait for you to come back to Miami so I can see you live and in person. And, and thank you for having me. This was really, really a treat. It has, where should people find you on the social media? We talked about a bunch of your stuff, but where should we, where should they find you? Listen, everything Miamiism. So on Instagram, on Miamiism, on Twitter is my first name. So it's Ines, I-N-E-S. So that's the only one. You're the first Ines. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's crazy. So Twitter is Ines, but the rest of the social media platforms under Miamiism, you'll find me. Terrific. My, and Miami is when, yeah, your, your Instagram is great because well, you're such a good photographer and capturing the, the art of the space and the, and the architecture. Uh, it's really, really terrific. All right, everybody. That's the Top of Mind podcast. My guest, Inez, chairman of the Miami Association of Realtors this year and a longtime practitioner. Inez, thank you so much. Everybody will be back next week with another Top of Mind podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate leaving a nice review on your favorite podcast app. That helps other people find us as well. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes.